Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets, your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome in. This is Locked On Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. You're hearing music from a local Charlotte band, Chosen Rejects. Find them on Spotify. Listen to the rest of this album. It's good stuff. Hey, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and if you haven't heard about this by now, you you need to go check these guys out. You can listen to the latest from Locked On Fantasy Basketball on Audio Boom or iTunes. Host Josh Lloyd is deep into his team previews. Uh, Our team preview just went up this morning. You have to check that one out. It's a great deep dive into the Hornets. We're going to post some sections of that throughout the week for you to listen to as well. It's a great way to get caught up on everyone's offseason, every NBA team, and get some tips for your fantasy basketball team. If you have a question, a comment about the show, or you're interested in sponsoring the show and getting access to uh, that hardcore Hornets fan that listens to this show every single time we're on the air, email us at buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Okay, first up, I stumbled on something really cool on basketball Twitter, and I had to share it with you. We talk a lot about individual and team stats on this show. As you know, we are not afraid of numbers. And, And sometimes amongst the traditional stats and the advanced stats, sometimes we forget something very important, and that's context. What do all of these numbers really mean? Well, a Twitter superhero out there and a Hive Talk Live certified SBG, that's a smart basketball guy named Nick Sharia, is out there trying to fight the good fight of contextual stats analysis. He put together what essentially amounts to he puts together these micro blog posts on Twitter that it's it's a Twitter thread essentially and they tell stories about NBA players and teams through stat visualization and added commentary so it's numbers plus a story. He recently discussed Kimball Walker's ascension and what Nick Batum did to help with me. It's time to do the math. Joined now by Nick Sharia. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick underscore Sharia. That's S-C-I-R-I-A. Nick, welcome to the show. And I just have to say, first of all, great job on these Twitter threads full of not just basketball statistics, but contextual analysis. That's what I like to call it, because it's not just numbers. You you do a great job of explaining and breaking down these numbers. So uh, kudos to you. Thank you. I'm happy to be on. And, you know, I think a lot of people throw out stats these days and they don't have much context and we can get really lost in that. So having a really good contextual foundation 
really helps uh, drive informed opinions. Well, Nick, this is your first time on the show, so let's get to know you a little bit. What's your, what's your story? What are you doing right now? Uh, I am a finance major at Xavier University, senior. Um, obviously, finance, I really like to delve into the numbers, and I am currently um, beginning to write for B-Ball Breakdown, which is a great site with a lot of great writers, and they have a lot of good video evidence and stats that I use um, in my threads. But So that's what I like to do um, in my free time. I like to play basketball too, but I'm currently coming back from a torn ACL. So, Oh, man. So that was, yeah, that's kind of a bummer, but so what's your, what's, what's your prognosis or what you six week injury? Uh, what, what's your status right now on the, on the pickup court? So I should be back around January. I actually had my surgery in May and I've been rehabbing for a few months now and trying to get back, trying to stay patient. You know, I really love basketball, but trying to stay patient and not overdo it. And currently I am beginning a jogging program. Well, listen, if you need any inspiration, just look up uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist and what he had to say on Hornets.com about coming back from his second straight torn uh, labrum injury. He's, I mean, the guy has no quit. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And Nick, I look forward to your Twitter thread examining your pickup statistics pre-ACL injury and post-ACL injury. I want to see that. Make sure that happens, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully I put in enough work in the rehab where we don't see a huge regression. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, Nick, what drew you to basketball statistical analysis? I mean, there are plenty of sports to pick from. Why basketball? Um, you know, just playing basketball and having that solid foundation, I think, um, kind of led me to being more inclined to talk about basketball. Um, and one thing that we talked about before the show was how I really like when writers or analysts focus on one sport instead of trying to generalize a whole Mm -hmm. lot of sports. I think knowing one sport and being um, very concrete and substantive in their evaluations can really be something that should be idolized. And I love the statistical side of basketball because there is so much room for interpretation. There is you have to use your eyeballs and your calculators in order to get a complete picture of the game. And I think if if you could only use your eyes or you could only use statistics, it would be a very boring experience to delve into these kind of things. And again, I think that's what makes what you do here on Twitter, on these Twitter threads, so interesting because you are providing not only uh, graphs and, and, and numbers and statistics, but you're also providing... Uh, context and video and 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 stuff that you can see and feel and I think that's what makes basketball uh, somewhat I I think more interesting than statistically analyzing some of the other sports. Yeah, and I think a lot uh, one of the problems we have, kind of generally, is that people you know stick to these narratives that oh maybe like Kyle Lowry five years ago wasn't a great defender, but he actually developed into a really, really good defender this past season. Um, Or like Steph Curry wasn't a very good defender when he first came into the league, but he's really developed on that end of the floor. So, you know, trying to stay up to date, watching games, looking at the statistics, 
is definitely the best way to get the most informed view. Well, Nick, let's get a little informed now about some of the things that you've written on Twitter. And again, you can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick, N-I-C-K underscore Sharia. That's S-C-I-R-I-A. I want to first, uh, this tweet here on uh, Kimba Walker, this says, just wanted to note Kimba Walker's significant jump in shooting efficiency last season. Tell us about these numbers, Nick, and what you saw out of Kimba Walker last season. Yeah, so Kemba's efficiency jumped dramatically last season. His true shooting percentage went up about uh, 7%. Three-point percentage was up about 7% while taking more threes. Um, And his mid-range jumper went up, too, in terms of percentage. So he really started um, hitting a lot of the shots that he wasn't making in previous seasons. And a lot of people will say that, uh, Batum had a lot to do with that, and he did, but there was also an article I found that the Charlotte shooting coach actually found a kink in Kemba's shot where he would take, when he would go up for a shot, he would kind of move it slightly to the right, and it would be kind of uh kink in the armor there. So they switched that up, and it was a long process, and Kemba got kind of frustrated throughout it, obviously. It's kind of frustrating to switch up your shot when you're in the NBA and you're still a pretty good shooter, but he did that and the, res- the results were pretty clear. Yeah. Bruce Kretzer, that shooting coach who replaced Mark Price, who now coaches for the university of North Carolina at Charlotte is the head coach there. And Mark Price was the one that helped MKG rehabilitate his jump shot and, and the limited amount of time that we did get to see MKG on the floor last season, that shot continuing to develop under Bruce Kretzer. So amazing job by the Charlotte staff to replace uh, a great shooting coach in Mark Price with with Kretzer. And, and you mentioned that a, a lot of people have said that Nick Batum's addition helped Kemba. Tell us about that, but it also helped a, a lot of other players on the team. Yeah, so... I have a little chart on one of these threads where I looked at from NBA Wally. They have a great site over there. Uh, when Batum was on the court and when he was off the court, comparing some of the numbers from some of his teammates, and the results are undoubtedly very clear that Batum pretty much helped every single player on the team that was a rotational player in terms of efficiency. Um, every single player playing with Batum had a higher effective field goal percentage than when they were, when he was off the court. Um, Kemba's three point percentage was 12.5% worse with Batum off the court than when Batum was on it. So picking him up was so big and it really, really helped jumpstart the Charlotte offense as a whole. Yeah, negative 12.5% three-point percentage for Kimba Walker. But also, I want to point out Cody Zeller. His two-point percentage without Nick Batum on the floor mm-hmm. goes down almost 15 points. And we, mm-hmm. we've pointed out several times on the show Cody Zeller's development, especially as a role man in the pick and roll. Uh, key to that was Nick Batum's ability to facilitate, but also his ability to draw defenders outside so yeah the gravity that he creates when he's on the floor really helped open up the middle of the floor and open up three-point opportunities for uh kimba walker it's it's pretty amazing i mean yeah i'm looking at this graph now and it's a lot of red when batum is off the floor and a lot of green when batum is on the floor he's a he's a beautiful player to watch yeah and it's kind of interesting because 
you know, in Portland, he was kind of mainly just like a corner three-point shooter. I think he was like 40% of his threes were coming from the corner. Um, so mainly a catch-and-shoot type of player, playing off of Lillard and Aldridge, obviously. Then he comes to Charlotte, and we just see this tons of playmaking. His assists go up, um, and his usage goes up, and he just starts becoming this really good playmaker. And then Kemba and Batum, they can play off each other. If Batum wants to be off a little ball, off the ball a little more like he was in Portland, he can do that. And now Kemba has the luxury of being off the ball. And obviously that's important because catch-and-shoot shots are primarily known for being more efficient shots than shots off the dribble. So when Batum has the ball, he can kick to Kemba, and obviously his percentages are probably going to rise. He's Nick Sharia. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick underscore Sharia. That's S-C-I. R-I-A, and if you don't follow him on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing because these these statistical threads, not just on the Hornets, but on the entire NBA, amazing stuff to read. It will help you understand the game in a completely different way and check him out soon on B-Ball Breakdown uh, where where he'll be uh, started. Are you writing now? Are you going to start? Is it soon? I am actually starting. I'm writing my first article right now on Aaron Gordon and the Orlando Magic's offseason kind of how it will be. Mm, not the best offseason. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, look, look for that. We'll link it for sure. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining. And you're going to come back. You're going to come back for another Do the Math segment and talk about Al Jefferson next week. So we'll, we'll, we'll see you then. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Really great stuff there from Nick Sharia. Can't, I can't get enough of of things like that, uh, of numbers uh, put in a way that I can... You have to understand, I did not take a math class in college. I got a letter. I took the ACT in high school, and I got a letter that I was uh, damn near uh, framing uh, before I went to college that said, you do not have to take a math class. And... Obviously, I didn't have to take a math class because in high school and the ACT, I was good enough at math to, to get there, but I had no passion for it. Uh, and my passion was in the arts and I was into theater and um, TVs, movies, that kind of thing. And, and math didn't necessarily appeal to what I wanted to do. So that was one of the best letters I've, I've ever gotten. But I do like math when it tells me something that... Either, it either confirms something that my eyes are seeing or it or it takes something that my eyes are seeing and puts it in a different light, in a different context. And a lot of what Nick Sharia is doing is is helping to do that. And other sites like Nylon Calculus and Hardwood Paroxysm are doing the same thing. There there is there is a movement against advanced statistics, and I think part of that movement is uh is not understanding that the the advanced stats are a way to access what our eyes are seeing in a different way as opposed to trying to challenge or distort what we see on the basketball court. They, they work together, and when they do, it's it's a really beautiful thing. So I've got one more thing to share from Nick's, Nick's collection. He, he did this recent series on contextualizing some of the advanced stats that we talk a lot about on this show that you see on other websites, stats like true shooting, effective field goal percentage, usage percentage, rebounding percentage, on and on and on. Unlike some of the traditional stats like points, rebounds, assists, advanced stats can be a little more difficult to pin down, especially when it comes to positions. Like, for example, we we generally know 
if you're a starting center and you're not pulling down at least eight boards a game, you're probably not a great rebounder. Cody Zeller, under that mark, he certainly has some room to improve in his rebounding. But if you're a center and your defensive rebounding percentage is, for example, 28 percent what the hell does that mean we don't know like there's not a lot it's because advanced stats are still relatively new on the scene or at least in the mainstream we don't have our bearings about us we haven't seen them enough or heard them enough to know that what is 28 percent is that good uh how many players rank below 28 percent and how many players rank above 28 percent well thankfully Nick has put together a few charts for several of these advanced stats that break down last season's numbers up by percentile. So, for example, if your def- if your defensive rebounding percentage ranks in the 50th percentile, that means that half of the centers were worse than you and half were better. So we've compiled a few notes based on these charts about how the Hornets compared to the rest of the league in a few of these advanced stat categories, and we're kicking things off with a usage percentage and a couple of these stats I'm going to tell you to tell some stories or or at least reveal some things that maybe uh, you, you may not have realized so let's start with usage percentage which is an estimate of the percentage of a team's plays that were used by a player while that player was on the floor so how many times that player got used in a play so usage percentage here for Kimba Walker was 26.5 that ranks in the 80th percentile meaning that he was better than 80% of the league in terms of usage percentage, so he was getting the ball a lot. Jefferson, 24.2, he was mid-80th. Lynn, Jeremy Lynn, 22.2%, that ranked him in the mid-60th percentile. Batum, same thing, 21.4, mid-60th. Zeller, 15.4, that was under the 30th percentile, so Zeller, usage percentage-wise, and again, these are all positional-based, so it's Zeller versus the rest of the center's in the league, he was under 30th percentile, so he wasn't getting used a lot as compared to other centers. And when you contrast that to Jefferson, who was in the mid-80th percentile, you, you get a picture of what uh, the the room, the opportunity that Zeller has if that usage percentage were to go up. And here's the most shocking one. Marvin Williams, 16.8%. In terms of power forwards, that ranked in the 30th percentile. So Marvin was doing a ton with just a little bit of usage, again, it just highlights how amazing a season Marvin Williams had last year. Let's go over to defensive rebounding percentage. This is the percentage of defensive rebounds that a player gets based on his team's defensive rebounding. Jefferson, we know he was a good defensive rebounder, 24.6%, a little below the 70th percentile among centers. Then you look at Zeller, 19.7%. <clears throat> excuse me, 19.7%, that ranks in the 30th percentile. So Zeller, a lot of room to grow in that defensive rebounding percentage category. All right, moving on to effective field goal percentage. And if you don't know, that's field goal percentage that values threes slightly more than they value twos. So, and you know, we we know based on uh, analysis that the the three is uh, a more efficient shot than a two. And so that's what effective field goal percentage tries to account for. Marvin Williams, among power forwards, 55.5% effective field goal percentage for the year. That's in the 90th percentile. Kemba, 49.5, and Batum at 50.6. They were both, in their their respective positions, 
right at the 60th percentile at effective field goal percentage. So that's great for Kemba, who uh, definitely stepped his game up and and became a more effective shooter and increased that three-point percentage, got him into the 60th percentile above average. Jefferson, here's the shocker, 48.5%. We normally think of Al Jefferson as an effective uh, field goal percentage kind of guy, but 48.5% was just a tick above the 20th percentile among centers. So not great. Field goal percentage on mid-range jumpers. So this is field goal percentage for just, uh, this is greater than 16 feet without being a three-pointer. So that's what we're defining as mid-range jumpers here. Jefferson, 51.4%. Get this, among centers, that was a league leading, 100th percentile for Jefferson. He was really good from mid-range last season, and you saw it. I mean, you saw him moving because he was missing a lot of bunnies. We'll get to that in a minute. He was moving out to the mid-range to try to get a rhythm in a game, and he was extremely effective at doing that. Nick Batum, 40.4%. That's in the 60th percentile. All right, Kimba Walker, we know uh, fans get really irritated sometimes when he takes a lot of mid-range jumpers. They want him taking threes or getting to the basket. Well, he was 37.6% field goal uh, percentage on mid-range jumpers, 40th percentile among point guards. So still still has some work to do there for Kimba. If there was room for him to improve on offense, there's still some availability there to pick his shots a little better and to knock those down this next season. All right, Courtney Lee, 44.4%. That's in the 80th percentile among shooting guards. So Courtney Lee, that's one thing that the Hornets could really miss from Courtney Lee was his ability, and he did this all the time, would do a head fake or a shot fake up at the above the break three and dip down to the free throw line and knock down a jumper. It was very smooth, nice to watch. One of those hidden things from Courtney Lee that the Hornets could miss next season. Cody Zeller, 26.7% last season on mid-range jumpers. That's below the 10th percentile. So the mid-range game for Cody Zeller did not develop as planned last season. He did improve that shot later on in the year. It got a little better. It was a, a little more dependable in the playoffs. But, you know, he it's just it, the shot is not developing like you. I think you would want it to from a center. Again, when you compare it to a guy like Al Jefferson, 51.4% field goal percentage on mid-range jumpers. All right, finally, field goal percentage, zero to three feet. That's the the uh, restricted area right at the rim. Batum, 69.7%. That's in the 90th percentile among shooting guards. So if, if Batum gets to the basket, you better believe he's finishing that layup. Jefferson, 64.2% among centers. That was in the 40th percentile, so below average output at right at the rim for Al Jefferson. And and you know when you look back on the season, that certainly uh, doesn't doesn't uh, you know or it makes a lot of sense. All right, Kimball Walker, 59.8%. That was right below the 70th percentile. And the story for Kimball Walker last season was his improved three point shot, and 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 duly so. But you also have to look, I think, at his ability to finish inside uh, that helped his efficiency, that helped his scoring dramatically uh, because it, was, it wasn't it was something he was extremely successful with uh, two years prior or the year before. So that was an improvement as well. And whether it was something that he actively worked on in the offseason or just a product of how defenses had to get more aggressive with him on the three-point line, allowing him better looks at the rim. Whatever it was, Kimba definitely improved his field goal percentage at the rim. 
and 70th percentile among point guards. So he was he was in those top categories. All right, Marvin Williams finally field goal percentage zero to three feet, only 53.8 percent, and among power forwards. That was in the 10th percentile, and, and this was definitely an issue in the playoffs. He was not able to finish around the rim, and if, if he didn't have the open three, that's, where, that's what he looked to do, and it didn't work out necessarily for Marvin Williams. A couple more notes from these statistics, which you can find, again, on Twitter, at Nick underscore Sharia, S-C-I-R-I-A. Frank Kaminsky, he has some room to improve. That's That's putting it lightly. 30th percentile in usage among power forwards. He was below the 10th percentile in 0 to 3 feet field goal percentage, 30th percentile in true shooting percentage, and the 40th percentile in that defensive rebound percentage category. So he wasn't getting used a lot, and when he was getting used, uh, it he wasn't as effective at the rim, true shooting percentage, or getting those defensive rebounds. So Frank Kaminsky... He's committed to becoming a better defender. He'll have to become a better, more effective offensive player and use those opportunities very wisely. And And he can look, if he's not going to, if the usage is not going to improve, if the ball's not going to go through him, then he has to look at a guy like Marvin Williams and say, okay, how is Marvin being successful without the ball moving through him? So he'll definitely, you know, not model his game after Marvin, but hopefully find some ways to... Um, you know, find some ways to be effective without having the ball go directly to him like it would an Al Jefferson, so on and so forth. And finally, I found some interesting numbers when I pulled up Sessions numbers and, and ran them through these charts and compared them to what the Hornets lost in Jeremy Lin. All right, so Lin's usage percentage was 22.2% for the Charlotte Hornets last season. That's mid-60th percentile above average. Sessions for the Washington Wizards, his usage percentage, 21.8. That's low 60th, so that's somewhat comparable. All right, free throw rate. We know that Lynn was great at getting to the free throw line and providing those easy points for the Hornets last season. His free throw rate, 40%. That's in the 90th percentile, and I ran this among shooting guards because that's a majority. I thought, you know, he was, when you talk about him playing with Kemba, and even when he played uh, point guard, they, they were both in the 90th percentile, but I ran most of Lynn's numbers through shooting guard. True shooting percentage, uh, oh, excuse me, free throw rate for Sessions was 47.8%. That was good for 90th. True shooting percentage, 53.4%. That's just a tick below 60th among point guards for Jeremy Lynn and a tick above 50th in shooting guards. So above average, either way you look at it, in true shooting percentage for Jeremy Lynn. All right, let's go over to Ramon Sessions, who's not known as a three-point shooter, a streaky one, if anything. His true shooting percentage, 56.5%. That's uh, 80th among uh, the uh, shooting guards and point guards. So he was able to effectively get to the line, which helps your true shooting percentage, and knock down a few threes here and there. So Sessions, again, uh, comparing nicely to Lynn in, in these particular categories. All right, zero to three feet field goal percentage for Lynn, it was 56.8%. That's 40th among point guards, 20th percentile among shooting guards. So, you know, he's finishing uh, below average at the rim for point guards. And Sessions, 57.6% at the rim. That's 50th percentile among point guards, so about average. And then a high 20th among shooting guards. So you'd like to see that improve for both players, but it's still, again, comparable. And finally, mid-range jumpers. 
neither Lynn nor Sessions took a lot of mid-range jumpers. Uh, the, it was only 16.6% of Lynn's offense and only 5% of Ramon Sessions' offense. So he's not going to take a lot of, he's not going to pull up from mid-range a lot. Um, so Lynn was a clip under 20th percentile for his mid-range jumpers. So not very good there for Lynn. And for Sessions, again, it was only 5% of his offense, but he did lead the league. So the the rare times that he did make a uh, take a mid-range jumper, it was lucky he made those. And uh, it was 55.9% of his mid-range jumpers went down. So you wonder if Sessions may get a little braver and, and try a few mid-range jumpers after being successful last season. So that's it for my stat breakdown. Again, if you want to see these charts, they are publicly available on Twitter at Nick underscore Sharia, S-C-I-R-I-A. Run your own numbers, make your own comparisons. And if you find an interesting comparison, make sure you send it to us, buzz buzz at HiveTalkLive.com. Okay, listen up. If you are in or around Charlotte next week, we've got Restaurant Week coming up here in the Queen City, and the Charlotte Hornets are taking part Queen's Feast, as it's called here in Charlotte, is a great way to sample new restaurants and get special menus you wouldn't otherwise get. So September 12th through the 16th, that's next week. If you visit certain restaurants on certain nights, 10% of the proceeds will go to the Charlotte Hornets Foundation, which benefits social projects in the areas of education, wellness, hunger, and military care. Monday, September 12th, if you go to Hickory Tavern between 5 and 8 o'clock in the Metropolitan, you can uh, take advantage and, and help give to the Charlotte Hornets Foundation Tuesday at Ruru's in Dilworth and all Queen City's Q locations. And Wednesday, it's Heirloom Restaurant and all Charlotte area McAllister's Deli locations. Thursday, it's Rira Uptown. And Friday, it closes out at Fahrenheit. So if you're planning to go somewhere here in Charlotte during Restaurant Week, why not? Make it one of those restaurants. Help out the Charlotte Hornets Foundation while you're at it. All right, the Charlotte Hornets are set to unveil Spectrum Center's new crown jewel, a brand new scoreboard on September 9th to season ticket holders. Work began on the $7 million scoreboard in July. The board was part of a renovation plan tied to the 2017 All-Star Weekend, which was recently moved to New Orleans. The board will have LED panels on all four sides, plus two screens in the underbelly of the board for fans who are sitting courtside. The two sideline screens will be 180% larger than the previous scoreboard, and the two end zone displays... 50% larger. All of the displays will be 1080p crystal clear as well. That's a first uh, for an NBA arena. So state of the art for the Charlotte Hornets and for Charlotte Hornets fans. We'll be there for the unveiling on September 9th. So make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Hive Talk Live for updates and images. Plus, I just got word we're going to talk to Pete Gwelly, Executive Vice President and Chief Sales and Marketing Officer. Hopefully, he can give us a little more inside information about what this scoreboard is all about and what fans can uh, expect to enjoy next season at the Charlotte Hornets game before that unveiling on September 9th. So we'll talk to him hopefully tomorrow. Get that up for you Wednesday or Thursday. Hey, thanks for listening to Locked on Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live. Hope you learned something. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review and help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. It really does help us 
move up through the rankings. And it's especially important now that we've joined this Locked On Network because we are, we're all moving as one. And it's, it's going to be important uh, to access some of those fans who may be jumping on board with the Charlotte Hornets after last season's success. And, and we want to make sure that they know that uh, if they want to listen to a podcast, that it is available. Uh, for them to listen to we want to hear from you as well please email us your hornets thoughts your questions your comments to buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com hive talk live is a presentation of sb nations at the hive.com we're back again tomorrow we'll be playing some of that interview that we did with josh lloyd from locked on fantasy basketball plus much more for david i'm doug go hornets go america let's swarm charlotte Tax is the problem with society. I was gonna find somebody else to take the